Today with Sarah McInerney, weekdays from 10 on RTE Radio 1. Now, there has been a huge reaction to a recent essay by Rosalind Dee in the Sunday Independent where she gave a really honest and open account of the experience of losing her beloved husband, Jerry five years ago. Um, it really was a very emotional piece of writing and it describes the stages of grief from the sheer numbness and the disbelief to anger and despair and finally to the next stage, I suppose, um, of what happens after that. And I'm delighted that Rosalind Dee has joined me this morning and thank you so much for coming in to us to talk to us about this. Um, Rosalind, you might just tell me first, um, you know, Jerry did die five years ago. So yes. what made you think of writing this now? It was really interesting, if that's the right word. Um, I had tried to write often over the last five years for myself, just for myself. Um, I probably started to write a piece about four or five times, got no further than maybe 50 words, 100 words, um, put it away. Couldn't do it, just couldn't do it. Partly because my head was so full of everything. There's so much there. How do you sort of distill that down? And then this year, this was the first time since Jerry died that the days were the same, if you know what I mean. So Jerry died in the early hours of a Monday morning, which was the 22nd of June. And this year was the first time that the 22nd of June was a Monday again. So in the previous week, I was kind of, because he was in hospital for five and a half weeks, um, I was going through the, this day, it was the same day. I could relate to what I'd been doing in those days five years ago. And then it became kind of the last Monday. We didn't know at the time. It was his last Monday before the final Monday. So I kind of distilled that into the last week of his life. And I sat down about a month ago um, Longer than a month ago, it was actually around the time of the 22nd of June, it was that week. I sat down in that week and I literally wrote about two and a half thousand words in a couple of hours. It just, all about, not what I wrote for the Sunday Independent, but specifically the last seven days of Jerry's life. And that's just for me. But because I had done that... And then it was Jerry's five-year anniversary. I think that when the Sunday Independent very kindly asked me um, and very tentatively asked me, to be fair to them as well, would I consider um, writing a piece? I think because I'd done that myself, for myself, a couple of weeks earlier, that made it easier. No, I took mm. a lot of advice. I didn't say yes straight away. I took advice from my son, from my sister and brother-in-law, from a good friend in the North. Um, and I decided really in the end that... If by me writing a piece and being as honest as I could be about the loss, um, if that helped even one person who's currently in that deep abyss of grief, then it would be worth it. And I know that Jerry, Jerry was the kindest person I ever met in my life. I knew that Jerry would want me to do that. So you might uh, just start maybe tell us a little bit about Jerry and your your 20 oh, years where together. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> Jerry was like a force of nature. Um Extraordinarily kind man, very smart, very funny, also deeply contemplative. He was a strange mixture. You know, he was he could be very quiet, very contemplative, but he was great fun. Um, we met in 1974, if only, if only. <laughs> we met in 1994 in the Sunday Tribune offices. Um, Jerry had come, he's from Dublin, grew up in Artane. Jerry came back from 10 years in London uh, where he'd been working as a newspaper designer and photographic editor. He'd been art director of Time out. He'd worked for the he'd redesigned the Independent in London, etc. So he came back. He'd worked with um, with 
the Tribune before and he came in. It was when Peter Marshall was editor and we decided we were going to launch a magazine, Saturday magazine, and Jerry came in to put the design together. And I was at that time deputy editor of the magazine and then I became editor. So we worked very closely together. So that would have been the first magazine was October 1994. Okay, so you had 20 wonderful We had 20 wonderful, magical years together. And of course, he loved smoking. He certainly did. Yes, and I have never smoked in my life. Um, but, you know, he loved smoking. He'd always smoked. When I first met Jerry, I mean, the camel cigarettes were on the go. You know, it's hard to even remember those days when you could smoke in the office. Um, but yeah, Jerry smoked at least 40 camel a day when I first met him. Uh, but stopped cigarettes very quickly. Stopped cigarettes within the first year we were together. We actually got got together in 1995 that summer um, it's actually coming up the 22nd of August was our what he called our running away day together um, so he gave up cigarettes within the year but he switched to small cigars and you know those sort of Hamlet type ones or Villagers or whatever and um, he continued people used to say to him but you don't inhale the cigars of course do you and Jerry would say anyone who has smoked cigarettes who tells you they don't inhale cigars is lying of okay. course I inhale the cigars so he did eventually give those up but he it gave was them up too late two weeks before his 60th birthday in October um that was October 2012 but it was too late I mean he had no symptoms not you know he obviously died from lung cancer but um he was only ill for I mean it was 13 months from his diagnosis until he died but we had a we had it sounds mad but we had a good time in those 13 months as well because he he responded well to treatment so we had periods of time when he was very well we could we always had traveled everywhere we traveled the world together we continued to travel um he continued to he was working as a photographer by then he continued to take photographs he continued to live his life jerry met jerry faced things head on um and he always felt that things you know he will get by we'll get past this he and how did you find that that last 13 months did you know it was going to be 13 months or do you know no, is a, a we short thought it would be, We thought it would be a bit longer. Okay. Um, and we were hopeful. Professor John Crine was his oncologist and was utterly wonderful. Um, and he did respond to the initial chemo. Um, and, you know, that was finished in the end of the, the summer in uh, 2015. Sorry, 2014. And uh, sorry, I'm I'm a devil for dates. Jerry used to say, meet my wife, the chronologist. Um, but he then... Come the, the next March, it wasn't good. So we knew then that it was it was going to be a... Um, we still thought longer. We still thought longer, but it wasn't to be. So you began your piece in the Sunday Independent writing about the day he died. Yes. And can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, it was the... Uh, he really... He... He had been himself absolutely up until the Friday evening. Now, he hadn't been out of bed in the last week because his breathing, obviously, he was on oxygen. Um, but he was still joking. He saw his, his baby grandson, Max, arrived with Damien, Jerry's son, my stepson, and Abigail, his partner from London. Um, in fact, the last photograph Jerry took from his hospital bed um, is of Damien holding baby Max. Um, but he, so he slept on the Saturday and Sunday and we knew he was, he was slipping away. Um, I never left the hospital at all for the last seven days. I couldn't, I had no idea where my car was the morning after Jerry died. I literally hadn't left St Vincent's. Um, so he passed away at just after four o'clock in the morning. I was with him. I, Venice was our great love. Another love of, he and I were a great love affair and we had a love affair with the city of Venice for 20 years. And uh, I was actually on my own with him. I had family there who were in the family room, but um, his last 
couple of hours, I was on my own with him and I read to him. I read to him from Joseph Brodsky's Watermark, which is the poet's own kind of love letter to Venice. Um, And he slipped away at ten past four. And then I left the room and I climbed the eight floors to the top of the stairwell in St Vincent's and uh, just looked out over the city. And, you know, it was a strange numbness and it was kind of a, a weird light. Was it day? Was it night? It was hard to tell. And I took photographs. I have no idea why. I'm, I take dreadful photographs. Um, and I have no, I couldn't have told you what the time was, but I now know I stood there for 20 minutes because the first photograph I took clocked in at 4.27 and the, the last one at 4.47. Um, it was an extraordinary sensation, feeling. I don't even know what word you could put on it. The sense of loss is just so overwhelming and overpowering. Um, it's, I felt my life was over. And then in the days immediately afterwards, you, you got busy. Oh, I was like a world. Well, I'm, I'm an organiser, you know. I was like, I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted Jerry's funeral to be perfect. Um, and if I may be so bold as to say, I think it was. Um, it was a humanist service. Jerry, neither Jerry nor I have any formal religion, um, despite the fact that he was an altar boy in his in his boyhood. Love, he loved the ceremony, he loved the ritual, but he did not have a lot of time for the Catholic Church. Um, so it was a lovely humanist ceremony um, with music. Jerry loved opera. Um, I helped carry him into Mount Jerome um, to Casta Diva, Maria Callas singing Casta Diva from Norma, which was one of his favourite operas. Um, so, yeah, and it, it, when you're in that kind of bubble, you're protected because you're busy, you're doing things. I mean, I actually got Jerry's death. I went and collected Jerry's death cert. I think it was actually, if not the day after the funeral, the day after that. I mean, a lot of people leave it for weeks and weeks and weeks. I just wanted that done. Um, and then I went to Venice by myself. Um, four days after his funeral, my sister was up the walls about me with worry. But it was the absolute best thing I could have done because I had a real sense of him there um, and I just needed to process, I suppose. I cried a lot. I was just, you know, I was obviously desolate. Um, but I could kind of see him on the corners with the camera slung round his shoulder and the cigar between his fingers, inevitably, um, which had been the case for so many years when we were there. Um, but then, you know, it becomes... People, I mean, I had wonderful support. I mean, really wonderful support. But, you know, people have their lives. They get on with their lives. They have to, and they, as they should. Um, and I was desperately lonely. People don't talk about the loneliness. And people say things, I think, I've discovered from talking to other people, people say things to widows, maybe younger than me, who still have children at home. And they say things like, at least you have the children. I mean, that word, those two words, at least. If anybody said at least, uh, Jerry had a signature moustache, you know, and it was always a joke. In fact, for one of his birthday birthday cakes, I had it done in the shape of a moustache back in the back in the day. Um, at least he didn't lose his moustache, you know. At least he saw his baby grandson. At least you got to Venice for the last Christmas. I mean, it. It really is cold comfort. It didn't um, help. No, it doesn't help at all. It doesn't help. You know, people say the maddest things, you know, but they mean well. They mean well. But, you know, when you're in that place of grief, um, I mean, I became very short tempered. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not great at suffering fools at the best of times, but um, I became, I mean, my sister would say, no, they were just, they just, they tiptoed around me, you know, waiting for the next kind of explosion. Um, but you have to realise that everybody grieves in their own way. I thought it was the same for everybody. 
but it's not. And I would have been very judgmental. I mean, even the the American writer Joyce Carol Oates, I mentioned that in the piece in, in Life magazine in The Independent. And, uh, you know, I was reading her book, A Widow's Story, beautifully written book. And then I discovered just by the way, while I was in the middle of reading that, that she'd got married a year after having lost her husband of 47 years. And I just thought, oh, for God's sake. But that was her way of dealing with it, mm. you know, and, and everybody has you, to find their own way. Yeah, and for you, in the first couple of months, you couldn't change your bed sheet for, uh, no, for two I mean, months? I'm really embarrassed. Him. Jerry's probably, if he was here now, he'd be saying, God, she's talking about our dirty linen <laughs> on, the, on the national airwaves. Yeah, I just discovered a little mark on his side of the bed. Actually, it would have been more than two months because Jerry was in hospital for five weeks. Um and it was kind of like, I don't know, was it a little bit of blood from a finger cut? It was, it was something that all I could feel that, that was of him. And I just could not take that sheet off the bed. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And a couple of friends said, why don't you put another sheet on top of it? And all, you know, different ways. to. I just couldn't do it um, until eventually I just thought, as Jerry would have said about a lot of things in life, Roz, just do it. You had his little room in the apartment is one thing that really struck me, this image of you, the first thing you did every time you came in. Yeah, well, Jerry had a, he'd set up, he had had a photographic studio in Greystones, Imagine Photography, and then um, he let that go and he operated from home. He had a, he had his his office, essentially. It was one of our, it was our spare bedroom. Um, And yeah, I, after he died, I rearranged it a bit, but I hung pictures and everything in there that everything in there was things that Jerry loved from a whole bookcase of cookbooks he was a wonderful cook you know to pictures of Venice to pictures of his of his son of my son um, of me um things to do other other things he loved birds um some some beautiful art that we had of birds and so that kind of became his room and I just had a little you know like a little bedside light and when I came into the apartment up until Honestly, Sarah, up until a year ago, even if I had like three bags of shopping, I would go straight into that room, carrying the shopping, put on the light, set down what I did, put on the light, go back into the this kitchen and put the shopping down. It was the first thing I did once darkness started to fall um, in the evenings. And now I still do it. I still do it because there's a picture of him with his little grandson beside the light. But I do it in a more leisurely fashion now. I'm not so I'm not as obsessive as I was. We talk a lot about mind and body, and you found you actually had physical symptoms of grief. Really, I had, yeah. Nobody tells you that. Nobody. Everybody talks, and of course, the emotional trauma is horrendous. Um, nobody told me that you get physically ill. I mean, I had, oh, I should, I, I, one person I forgot to thank in my piece in The Independent is my doctor in Greystones, Nicola Cochran. I mean, I was never away from her door and I'm never ill normally. I had, I mean, I had quite, I had heart conditions, which which were, you know, worrying enough for me to have to go and see a cardiologist. Um, I had chronic back issues. I had stomach issues. I had, you know, loads of hospital tests. Um, and it's just the way the mind and body, obviously, they're, they are, of course. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. Mm. They don't they don't operate in isolation of each other. If your mind is, is disturbed, upset, obviously, there's an impact on your body. And certainly there was for me. So we're five years later now and people do say time heals. You don't agree well, that, time that time heals. Well, I don't think time heals. Um, my loss today is as great as it was on that morning when I climbed those stairs in that hospital. I still miss Jerry every hour of every day. But 
my grief, it doesn't define me anymore. You know, I've, I've realised now I can have not the same life. I'm a different person, but I can have a life again. I've done a lot of change in the last year. You know, um, I took a redundancy package from the Irish Daily Mail who were incredibly good to me through Jerry's illness and, and after his death, incredibly good to me, particularly Sebastian Hamilton, who was then my editor. Um, but I, I decided I needed to do something new. I got myself my little dog, Dudley, who's out in the car as I talk to you here. And he has been just such a joy. Um, and yeah, my, 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 the loss of Jerry is as great, but it no longer defines me. You wrote in your piece, Rosalind, that no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. You were quoting C.S. Lewis. Yes. I just wonder from your experience and for people who might be listening to you who might be anticipating the loss of yes. someone this close to yes. them, is it something to be afraid of? You've no option. You've no option. You have to face it in whatever way you can. Um, I think that just make sure you have support um, you know, but is it something, that's a good question, Sarah. Is it something to be afraid of? I think when you're grieving, the loss is so great that you're not fearful for anything for yourself. You don't care about yourself. That's the only way I could describe it to you. I didn't care what happened to me. Um, I was totally focused on my loss of Jerry. My life didn't matter. Um, and you have to realise that's actually wrong. Your life does matter. Mm. And my life mattered to those who loved me. Um, and obviously to my son very much. Um, and you have Jerry with you today. Uh, he's on a ring around your yes, neck. That's yeah, his, that's I, I his try, wedding I, ring. Actually, because I'm wearing a dress today, you can see it. Usually it's tucked down in underneath. But he I, goes with you everywhere. Take, his wedding ring is with me everywhere. And you speak to him every morning? I speak to him every morning. Yeah, tell him what the weather's like. Well, thank you so much for joining okay. us this morning and thanks. telling us about Jerry you. and, and can I just your say beautiful love affair. Thank you to everyone who's responded so magnificently and wonderfully to the piece in Life magazine last weekend. I was overwhelmed by the kindness of people. So okay. thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, it's a wonderful piece of writing for anybody who wants to look it up. It's, it's well worth a read. Um, but you've brought it to us here as well this morning. That's Rosalind D, who was writing in the Sunday Independent. Uh, with apologies, we're a little late. We'll go now to the newsroom and Susan Jackson.